Well, good morning again, everyone. We are in uh, Psalm 46 this morning. So if you could turn your Bible to Psalm 46. I was thinking I would do this sermon after Shepherd's Conference, but this week, as I was thinking about it, this passage twice talks about God as being with us, which in Hebrew is Emmanuel. And so I thought, well, since we just preached about Emmanuel, the Son of God, God with us, I thought it would be fitting to do this one first. And next week we'll return back in our study to Matthew. This is a a great psalm, and uh, let's just begin by reading it together. It says, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This psalm, as it says in the superscription, was written by the sons of Korah. The, the sons of Korah might be descendants of that Korah who rebelled against Moses uh, in the wilderness. And they eventually, these sons of Korah, these descendants of Korah, became associated with the temple worship. And this psalm is a song that they wrote for Israel's worship. This is an inspired worship song. And it's a song of unshakable confidence in God. It's a celebration of God's presence with His people. The the sons of Korah or the Korahites see God as their refuge and their strength. And twice they proclaim, the Lord of hosts is with us. In verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. And again in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And because of who God is, they declare in verse 2, we will not fear. They will not fear no matter what is happening in the world. God is their refuge. He is their strength. He is with them. He is in control. They will not fear. And what makes this psalm even more remarkable is that it was likely written at a time when Israel was being threatened by foreign armies by foreign powers. This is a song that was written on the brink of a national crisis. Now, we we can't be 100% sure exactly when this psalm was written, but most scholars believe that that this psalm, the, the historical setting for this psalm, 
was the siege of Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah. The siege of Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah. And if you remember that story, Isaiah 36, 37, 38, the, the Assyrian army led by Sennacherib encamped outside of Jerusalem, surrounded Jerusalem in about 700 B.C., and 185,000 soldiers were camped outside of Jerusalem, and, and they stood right outside the city gate. And just before that, the, the army of Sennacherib had captured most of the fortified cities of Israel and most of the fortified cities of Judah. And so the last place left is Jerusalem. And now they're encamped against Jerusalem, ready to take Jerusalem as well. <clears throat> And what we need to know about the Assyrians as we kind of think about the, at least the, the most likely historical setting when this worship song was written is that the Assyrians were the most vicious, most wicked, most feared of all the military powers in the world at that time. And when they captured a city, when they conquered a city and took it by siege, they did horrible things to the people who remained alive in that city. And so you were blessed in that sense if, if, the, if the Assyrians would take your city and you would die in the battle because the Assyrians were just such a feared and hated and vicious and wicked people. And so it would have been absolutely terrifying to stand on the wall in Jerusalem and see this massive army of 185,000 men surrounding the city. And like I said, you can read about it on your own time, Second Kings 18 and 19, uh, Second Chronicles 32, as well as Isaiah 36 and 37. Three times in Scripture this, this story or parts of this story are rehearsed. And I want you to think about this this morning. How would you respond if you were in Jerusalem on that day? If you looked over your walls and there was 185,000 of the most vicious people that had conquered every other safe hold and stronghold that you knew, what would you do? And while you think about that, what do you do when your circumstances, at least humanly speaking, seem impossible? When you're hemmed in on every side, where do you turn? In other words, how do you respond to trials? Or to put it maybe in the words of the psalm, where is your refuge and strength? And so the sons of Korah have something to teach us today. And, and God's Word wants us to examine our hearts this morning. At a time when most of us would have been tempted to fear, tempted to be anxious, tempted to the churning of worry within our hearts, the Holy Spirit empowered the Korahites to write a worship song. And they said they were not afraid. Fear is something really that all of us struggle with at different times. Anxiety, worry is a, 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 a lesser version of fear, and it's a sin that affects us really often more than we even know. We're often unaware within ourselves of the anxious thoughts, the, the worries that plague us. And other times we can be gripped by anxiety and fear to such an extent that it, it practically paralyzes us. And our enemy, the, Satan, uses fear to keep us from doing what God would have us do. 
And so fear handcuffs our service for God. Fear keeps us from trusting God. Fear and trust are opposites. And if we're going to glorify God in this life, if we're going to honor Him, we need to trust Him. And this text then is going to empower us to throw off the handcuffs of fear and put on unshakable confidence in God. And so if you're taking notes this morning, as we work through the text, what we're going to see is three truths that will deliver us from fear and enable us to trust God. I didn't write that in the outline for you, so you might want to write that above the three points, but there's, we're going to call this three truths that deliver us from fear and enable us to trust God. And we're going to draw these three truths from the, the very three clear sections in our text. Each section of this poem, of this song, ends with the word Selah. We're not actually really sure what Selah even means. That's why it's just transliterated like that. But Selah, it's, it's at least a break in the text. And uh, each of these truths are drawn from the text. Number one, we're going to see that God is our refuge in verses 1 to 3. Secondly, second truth that delivers us from fear and enables us to trust God is that God is with us in verses 4 to 7. And then we're going to see that God is working in verses 8 to 11. God is working in this world. So before we look at these three truths, though, it might be helpful just to ask this. Is it even possible to live without fear? And with without fear's lesser cousin anxiety, is it even possible to live in that way? And what I would just point out there is that the psalmists thought so. The psalmists who wrote this psalm, they thought so. They, they had a confidence in God that led them to declare that they would not fear. And so the first truth that will deliver us from fear and enable us to trust God is number one, God is our refuge. And the sons of Korah, they knew God and, and they knew Him as their protection. They say in verse one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the psalm starts where we all need to begin when we're in the midst of difficulties. It starts with God. The first word in English and in Hebrew is God. And nothing delivers us from our trials like the thought of God. The, the one who created the heavens and the earth. And it's not just God out there somewhere, but they recognize Him as our God. He is our God. The God who belongs to us, as it were. The, the, the God who we are in relationship with. And the psalmists see God as as their God. He belongs to them and they belong to Him. And deliverance from fear comes as we realize that we belong to God and that, that He is truly our God and that He is with us. And so the fear of God brings all other fears into line, into the right perspective. And the sons of Korah, they see God as their refuge and their strength a refuge is a, a place where you go for safety. Somewhere where you go for protection. It's a place of safety and security. It's a, it's a haven, an asylum. And so to say God is our refuge, it means that He is the one that we go to when we're in trouble. When there's danger, we run to Him. He's the one we run to for protection. He delivers us from the enemy. And in the storms of life, we find shelter in Him. He is also 
our strength. Strength is the inner fortitude that enables someone to accomplish something. It's, it's the inner fortitude that, that powers us to do what we do. It, it's the power that enables us to endure. And so God is not only this strength externally that they run to, but internally He is strengthening us as well. And for the psalmists, the, their refuge and their strength is God Almighty Himself. Now you might ask, well, what does that mean? What does that look like if God is my refuge and my strength? What does it mean? And the next line tells us He is a very present help in trouble. He is a very present help in trouble. When danger or trouble comes, we instinctively call out for help, don't we? When, when, when you're in danger, you call and you cry for help. And God is the answer to that call. He is a help. And not just a help, but He is a very present help. The, the, the God is near. The answer to our call for help is near. He is a very present help. Literally, in Hebrew, the phrase says, a help to be found exceedingly. A help to be found exceedingly in troubles. And the idea is that God is very accessible. The, the psalmist recognized God. He's not hard to find. He's available. He is ready to help. And so when you need help, when you call for help, God is right there to be found. He's exceedingly accessible to be found. He's readily available help. And look at the text again. He is very present help in trouble. Literally in Hebrew, it's troubles, plural. There, there's multiple troubles in all kinds of troubles. God is a present help. One commentator, Alan Ross, says troubles refers to those, quote, those difficult life-threatening situations where there seems to be no way out, no room even to move. In such times, there is no help except God, end quote. And the saints throughout the ages have found God in this way. They have known God in this way. Moses knew God as his help in all the troubles that he faced as he led Israel out of Egypt to the border of the promised land. God told Joshua, Joshua 1.5, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua knew God as his help, as his strength. And Joshua brought Israel into the promised land. He knew God as his refuge and strength. David found God to be his help as well. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6 says, Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And so the people of God throughout history accomplished what they accomplished because of God's help. They trusted their God. They knew Him. They found strength in Him. They looked to Him in everything that they faced in their troubles. They looked to Him because they knew Him as their refuge and their strength. And this psalm then became a favorite of many of the saints throughout history. Martin Luther loved this psalm. He wrote, 
A mighty fortress is our God, based on the words of Psalm 46. Now one more observation I want to make in verse 1. Notice that it says there that God is our refuge, strength, and help. God is our refuge, strength, and help. This is not just something that God does from some time, from time to time. This is His very nature. This is who He is. God's very nature is to be a help and a refuge and a strength for His people. And so God is our strength. He is our refuge. He is our very present help. And if we would be free from fear, we must know our God in these ways. But what the psalmists say next really is staggering. Look at verse 2. They say, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Therefore, we will not fear. Because of who God is, because He is our God, we will not fear. The logical conclusion from the truth in verse 1 is that we ought not to fear. But it's not even that they say we ought not to fear. They said we will not fear. And in fact, in Hebrew, the, con- the construction there means we will not become afraid. We will not even become afraid. The authors are saying that we will not even begin to enter that state known as fear because God is our God and our refuge and strength. And why? Why will they not fear? Because they know God. Because they look to God. Because the result of knowing God as described in verse 1 means that fear is not an option. Charles Spurgeon said, with God on our side, how irrational would fear be? Fear, worry, and anxiety make no sense if God is our God. No matter how difficult our situation looks. Now it's one thing to say, we will not fear. We will not begin to enter that state known as fear. But the psalm goes even further. They will do no such thing even in the most frightening situation imaginable. Their confidence here extends to the furthest degree. Look at verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And they're saying that they will not fear even though or even if what's described in verse 2 and 3 should happen. Now, you've got to get into the sandals of an Israelite in 700 B.C. Okay, so let's pretend we're Israelites in 700 B.C. The earth is the most stable and solid and secure thing that you can think of, right? And if you want to kind of picture the, the strength and the, the stability of the earth, then you look to the rocky mountains in the horizon, and there, there is the strength of the earth. What, what could be more stable than the mountains of the earth. Now on the other end of the spectrum, what would be the most unstable thing imaginable? The most mysterious and frightening thing for an Israelite was the depths of the sea. Israel wasn't a, a, a seafaring nation. They didn't have ships and boats. And, and so the sea was unstable and dangerous. And what the authors are saying is that even if the earth should change, or even if the earth 
should uh, give way in such a way that the most stable thing imaginable, the mountains, were picked up and thrown into the heart of the sea and we were there and we were watching the whole thing and the, the mountains were, were quaking and trembling into the sea and the sea is swelling and foaming and we saw the waters of the sea swallow up the mountains and they were roaring and foaming and the mountains were quaking and trembling as the sea swelled. Even then, we would not become afraid because God is our God. And so in the face of uh, this terrifying military threat, the psalmists are saying that God is our refuge and strength, therefore we will not fear. Even if the worst imaginable calamity befell on us, we will not fear because God is our God and He is our help in troubles. Now that's what the psalmists are saying. What about you? I want you to think about your situation, your life right now, your troubles that you're facing. What are you saying in your heart? I don't know what you're going through or or what's happening in your life, but where are you experiencing trouble? Ask yourself that. Where are you experiencing pressure? What difficulties are you facing right now in your life? Now, maybe fear is is too strong of a word for whatever you're going through, but anxiety is a more culturally respectable form of fear. The Greek word for anxiety has to do with being worried or distracted. And so in the midst of whatever you're going through in your life, are you worried or distracted? Where does your mind run to in trials? What are you thinking about in the midst of life's pressures? As you think on your circumstances, are you saying, oh no, what am I going to do? Or are you saying, God is my help? Are you trusting the Lord or are you trusting yourself? Are you remembering who God is? Are you you acting like it's just you and your troubles going one-on-one? Biblical counselor David Paulinson said this, he said, If you think about your bad anxiety reactions, the unhealthy worry, fretting, and churning, you will notice that you have always forgotten that the Lord is near. I think that's very, very true. If you think about your bad anxiety reactions, the unhealthy worry, fretting, and churning, you will notice that you have always forgotten that the Lord is near. And if your thoughts are on your troubles and not on your God then you are in a bad place in the midst of your troubles. If your troubles are bigger than your God, then you have forgotten who God is. But if you know God as your refuge and your strength and your help, then you can trust Him to deliver you whatever you might face in this life. And the rest of the psalm now, as we continue into verse 4 and really to the end, continues with this theme of fearlessness in the midst of these troubles. And so the first truth that we saw that delivers us from fear and enables us to trust God is that God is our refuge and strength. Secondly, we see now God is with us. Number two, God is with us. Look at verse 4. There is a river 
whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. Now what a striking contrast between what we just saw and this section. Remember, we just saw the, the in vivid language, the, the mountains totter the, and shaken into the heart of the sea, and the sea was roaring and foaming, and things were shaking and swelling. And now we have this image of a happy river with streams flowing into the city. We need to remember that this is poetic language. This is poetry here. And we're supposed to feel the difference of our new setting as we enter into verse 4 and 5. We went from chaos to peace. We went from roaring water to bubbling brooks. And we're supposed to listen to the gentle waters bubbling into the city, refreshing the people in the city. And so stop and look around and sense the the peace of our new setting here. And I think what we're supposed to ask ourselves is, how does God's protection look? And what we get in verses 4 and 5 is that everything is at peace in God's city. Everything is at peace. The waters that looked so threatening in verse 2 are now reduced to a stream that makes the city of God glad. And God has turned the treacherous waters into a life-giving stream. In Hebrew it says, a river. The streams of it make glad the city of God. And it's really a shocking transition. A river in verse 4. And we're in this new scene. The city of God, of course, is Jerusalem. There was no river that flowed through Jerusalem, however, and so this is almost uh, some kind of uh, something that the, the psalmist is imagining here. The river isn't identified regardless, and so it's not important that we know what river he has in mind. But to say the streams of the river are causing the city to be glad is a poetic way to say that the people in the city are made glad by this river. And so the idea here is that they're rejoicing in what God provides. Of course, if you have a foreign army encamping around the city, one of the things that you need is a, a good and healthy water supply. And so the people within this walled city are refreshed because of God's provision, because of God's protection, and because of God's presence. And the point is that God is in the midst of His people. The city is where God Most High dwells it's the holy habitation of the most high and so again god is present in the midst of his people and that is why they are safe that is why they don't fear and now as you think about it here it's not the walls it's not the fortifications it's not the military presence it's not the army or even the water that makes god's people secure it is God Himself being there in the midst of His people no matter what the rest of the situation looks like. And so think about that in your own life. It's not your financial situation or anything that's happening in your life, in your world that is your protection. It's, It's God Himself that makes us secure. And so this is about God's presence. This is about His nearness. God is with His people. God is with us. 
Now, as we look at, and just enter into verses 4 to 5, I, I just want to show you there's a, there's a few links that are hard to see in English, a, cu- a couple of poetic links here that, that tie the stanzas together. Now, in, in 4 and verse 1, it says that God is a help. And in verse 5, we see that same thing. In the second part of verse 5, God will help her. In verse 2, though the mountains slip or or though the the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea that that same word there slip or or to be moved is is to be made to stagger or to totter that that same word there is used in verse 5 she will not be moved and again the same word in verse 6 where it says the kingdoms totter that's that same idea to be moved it means to move or slip or to totter in verse 6 of our text, the nations rage. Or, or in the, the New American Standard Bible, the nations made an uproar. And that same word uproar is translated as roar in verse 3, though its waters roar. And so all of these connections, these similar words being used, tie this whole thing together. And the psalmists are saying then that they will not fear even though the nations roar. And rage, not not even just this natural disaster that they were looking at in verses two to three, but now even though the nations roar and rage and threaten to move them and shake them and make them stagger and make them totter, they will not fear. And so the nations and the kingdoms of the world may threaten us, and sometimes their threats are even scarier than the threat of natural disaster, but we should not fear because God is our help. Now look at verse 5 again. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And all God needs to do is raise His voice and the earth would melt. A word from God can transform any situation. He's in control. He is with us. There is nothing to fear. God is with His people in the city. Now the third truth that will enable us to trust God and shake off the handcuffs of fear is number three, God is working. God is working. God is continually working through and working in everything that happens in our lives. God is in control of all that happens. Nothing happens outside of His meticulous care for the world and especially for His people. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 tells us that God is working all things, or God works all things according to the counsel of His will. And so we're invited now to come and behold some of the works of God. Verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has brought desolations on the earth. And this stanza then begins with two commands. Come and behold. The, the author wants us to come and look at something. We've seen the, the mountains cast into the sea. We've seen the peaceful streams bringing joy. And now we're invited to come and see something else. We need to see the works 
of Yahweh, the works of the Lord. And these works are called desolations in the earth or or desolations on the earth. This is a work here that we're invited to behold. It's a work of judgment. And according to the Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament, a desolation is, quote, a horrific, atrocious event, always referring to the destruction left in the wake of judgment. And so we're invited to come and behold these desolations. We're, we're invited to behold horrific, atrocious events that refer to the desolation or the destruction that's left after judgment. And so God is here a, viewed as a God who works desolation. In other words, God is a holy God. God is a just judge. And when God stretches out His arms to judge the earth, horrific desolation is all that remains. And so as we come and behold these things, this would be a terrifying sight to behold. You know, it's Sunday morning. Let's go and let's see God's judgment on the earth. Let's go see the horrific, atrocious event that then the desolation that remains when he judges the earth behold how god destroys the wicked come and see the atrocity and destruction the the remains of god's righteous judgment and so as we behold this third scene we should tremble now the psalmist here doesn't mention a particular work of desolation But we could remember some of them, maybe perhaps when God destroyed the entire world in the flood of Genesis 6. You know, when you think about Noah and the flood, if if you think of a happy ship with the rainbow over it, you, you probably haven't rightly beheld the judgment of the flood. In Genesis chapter 19, God rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their great wickedness. In Exodus, God poured out plagues and judgments on Egypt because they oppressed his people and he left them desolate. In Numbers chapter 16, the earth swallowed Korah and his followers so that they went alive into Sheol. And we could go on and on here. Come and behold the work of Yahweh who has brought desolations. This is a frightening scene. Now remember what I said earlier that the fear of God casts out other fears. But the good news here in this judgment is that if, if that God is your God, and if you know Him in a saving way, then His judgment will actually be the thing that delivers you from your enemies. And so for us as believers, God's justice is our deliverance from God's enemies and ours. And although the nations rage and the kingdoms of the earth uh, threaten us this world threatens to rise up against the lord we need to remember that god can stop them at any moment in verse 9 he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth he breaks the bow and shatters the spear he burns the chariots with fire and so god is a god who causes war to cease And He makes them stop. And He doesn't do that necessarily by bringing peace, but sometimes by destroying His enemies. You might not remember this, but 
in Second uh, Kings chapter 19, verse 35, as, as Hezekiah prays in, in the light of Sennacherib's uh, threatening army of 185,000, Hezekiah prays, and in answer to that prayer, the angel of Yahweh, he went out and he struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when Israel woke up that next morning, early in the morning, behold, all of that army that had threatened them the night before was dead. And the psalm here then kind of brings you to the scene. And, and as it were, you, you stand out beholding the desolation of the Assyrian army. And as you're beholding this, this judgment, all of a sudden now in verse 10, God speaks and breaks the silence. And He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now this is a nice little verse that we sometimes like to have a a little embroidery of or put it up on our wall. I've seen it in some walls around here. It's a great verse. But it's actually a little bit of a a threatening verse here. This this isn't a, a friendly, hey, be still and happy and just know me. This is a rebuke to the nations that oppose God. God speaks and the earth melts. This is the one who speaks and the earth melts. Some, some translations or the, the, the New American Standard Bible says cease striving. And, and the idea there, cease striving or, or be still and know that I am God, it isn't just be quiet. The idea is let it alone or let loose or, or drop the hands. The, the idea is to abandon doing something that you were doing. And so the idea here is that God is rebuking the nations as they are resisting Him and and fighting against His people. And God says, stop it to the nations. Stop it. Be still. Abandon what you're doing. Give it up. Cease striving is a good translation in the New American Standard. God tells the nations that He then will be exalted. That their plans will fail, will fail, but his plans will succeed. Stop resisting, God says. I will be exalted. I will be glorified. And God is saying here then that he will act so majestically that all will come to see his greatness. And the repetition there of I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth two times. I will be exalted emphasizes that God will demonstrate His glorious sovereignty over all the earth. And so this is a great encouragement to us. We are on this planet. We are here to glorify God. Our aim is the same as God's aim, that we are here to exalt Him. And God is saying that no matter what is happening, no matter how things look on the outside, no matter how difficult our circumstances, God will so work that He will be glorified. Nothing can stop His purposes. Nothing can thwart His plans. And ultimately, our goal and God's goal will be accomplished. He will be glorified. And this will happen as we know from later Revelation when Christ returns and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
And as God's people then, we can know that whatever difficulties we face, whatever we are going through, God will be glorified. He will be exalted in our lives. Everything that the Lord brings into our lives is an opportunity to see Him exalted in and through us. And so whenever you're tempted to be anxious, this is what you need to ask yourself. How can I view this situation as an opportunity to glorify God? In every situation in our life, we need to ask ourselves, how can I view this situation as an opportunity to glorify God? And after God speaks then, the refrain is added again with with extra power in verse 11, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of the armies of heaven. He is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The covenant God who controls the armies of the world and the armies of heaven, He is with us. And if He is with us and He will exalt Himself, then we have nothing to fear. The three truths that we've seen are able to deliver us from fear and empower us to trust in God. God is our refuge. He is with us and He is working. He will judge and He will be glorified. And so the sons of Korah had an amazing confidence in their God. They tell us that they would not fear even in the worst imaginable catastrophe because God was the refuge, because He was the source of their strength. They trusted Him in all their troubles and they had peace like the happy streams of a river because they knew that God was with them and that God was in the midst of the city, that the Lord of hosts is with us. And brothers and sisters, if the sons of Korah in the Old Covenant could know God in this way, then how much more should we? In the Old Covenant, remember, only the high priest had access to the presence of God and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And the rest of the nation was removed from the direct presence of God because of their sins. But in spite of this reality, the sons of Korah knew that God was with them. And so how much more aware of God's presence should we be? We who have Jesus Christ, who know Him as Emmanuel, that He is God with us. And in the New Covenant, God is with us in a far greater measure than the sons of Korah could ever have imagined. God Himself dwells within us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell within us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And in Him, we are clothed with His righteousness so that God views us as perfectly holy. And so we couldn't be any nearer to God if we are in Christ. All our sins are washed away and we have access through the Son by the Holy Spirit. We have access to the Father. And we have the promise that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And so God is not only with us, but He lives in us. And so we can say the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. He is our refuge too. He is in us and we are in Him and He is our very present help. And He couldn't be more present Listen to this, no matter how you might feel. He is with us no matter how we feel. And therefore, we too should not fear 
we should trust Him. And so in the words of Philippians 4 and verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for who You are as our refuge, our strength, our, the place that we can go to in the difficulties of life. We thank You that that is who You are. A very present help in trouble. And so we pray that You would forgive us for our fear, that You would forgive us for the anxiety that we have, and that You would help us to set our minds on You and to fear You and to care about You so highly that the cares of this world disappear. Father, help us to trust in You and to give You glory. Help us to believe this promise that You will be exalted among the nations, that You will be exalted in the earth. And help us to live out this great salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, that You are with us, that You are present. We thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen.